You're listening to the Study Legal English podcast, helping lawyers and law students become fluent in legal English. For more information, visit studylegalenglish.com. Hello and welcome to Study Legal English. Today I'm pleased to have a special guest on the show, Dennis Potemkin. Now, Dennis is a graduate from Oxford University. He is a lawyer. He's worked with multinational companies and international law firms on issues such as commercial law, contract drafting, intellectual property. And most recently, he's launched a startup called Majoto, which provides contract solutions to businesses and lawyers around the world. So we're going to be talking all about those things today. Thank you for coming on the show, Dennis. Thank you for inviting me. Very uh, glad to be here. This sofa is very comfortable, good, so uh, good, good, I'm good. very uh, very pleased to be here for several reasons. <laughs> Just relaxing. First of all, how did you get to where you are today? A couple of years ago, I uh, left my sort of corporate uh, job and decided to sort of strike out on my own, uh, you know, starting with the consulting side and then, you know, with the sort of the, the piece of kind of the legal tech baby that I've been uh, working on. As I say, before that, I was uh, I worked as an in-house in, in corporations uh, you you mentioned and and I've always um I've always done things a little bit differently to how you know lawyers are supposed to to work you, you know I mean there's that classic saying that lawyers when they get into the office open up word and marketing people open up powerpoint and finance open up um excel mm. and that wasn't me I hated word and I worked in powerpoint and excel mostly and I was always very interested in different ways of uh, presenting information that sort of works much better with business and you know kind of using new tools and do, doing things differently and i guess the other thing is that i'm i'm kind of restlessly creative i'm i'm actually you know i'm a little bit of an artist trapped in a lawyer's body and what i found working in the law increasingly i could really um uh, satiate my need for for creativity because of the things that you can actually do and i think law done well is actually fundamentally creative but what i found once i left um i was able to really sort of focus on that creativity you know almost 100% you know from from developing a kind of a consulting business to coming up with sort of brands and ways of packaging products through to the technology product i'm working on it's 100% creative and i've really loved that law is not often associated with creative at least traditionally yeah. is not associated with creativity and and i think that's a real shame and i think what what you're seeing now increasingly is that there's some really really creative people working in the space and really creative stuff going on if you think about the kind of the legal designers out there the guys who are visualizing contracts and you know people working on different ways of doing contracts and and people working on content you know even people working on plain english and making turning law into something that a consumer can read that's a hugely creative process so you so you see that but it's still not somehow associated with what a lawyer traditionally does and i think that's wrong because actually everything that a lawyer does has a huge uh, level of creativity or needs a huge level of creativity i read an article of yours that was the contract process is broken or something mm, like that mm, contracts mm. are broken what's wrong with the contract drafting process at the moment the, the first way in which they're they're broken is just the, the words the way it's written it's it's archaic it's overly complex it's overly focused on risk and you end up with these 
things like you know kind of long word strings where you say he warrants guarantees represents and whatever else right and and you see that a lot in contract these kind of long word strings because lawyers are sort of paranoid that if they miss a certain word maybe it'll be interpreted too narrowly so they try to widen it with these long word strings and um contracts are still too much peppered with just here withers and here forwards and they're in. And I hate that. That's just, it's crazy. But it's so much of that still remains in, in, in contract language. Ken Adams is some, is a name that I have to drop because he's written a lot about this and he has written a big thick book. Not only is he sort of showing you how to fix it, but he's really explaining what's broken in, in that language. And the, and the amazing thing is, is that all this extra stuff that lawyers thrown in, it does not help. It does not help with certainty. It does not help with risk. It actually makes it worse. Now, why is that? And Ken Adams talks about, a lot about that as well. Why is it like that? And the fundamental reason actually is the way that contracts are put together. They're sort of built up from precedence. So, you know, a typical lawyer, you know, it, you wouldn't write the contract from scratch yourself. You sort of take a, a precedent maybe that someone has created or that you find in the internet and you play around with this. You build in some other things from your other precedents. But what that means is that this bad language gets perpetuated over the, the ages and you still see stuff that essentially is probably 30 years old in terms of how it's written, but it still perpetuates into the present and everyone's too afraid to break it. So it's kind of, it's, it's partially around the fundamental process of how law is done, partially a kind of professional laziness, a kind of professional risk aversion. And I think that's totally going to change because, you know, when you, when, when, when the surveys show that, you know, 88% of people don't understand what's written in contracts, you know that something is uh, wrong. So that's the kind of words side of things. And then I think they're broken in other ways. There's very little structure in contracts. And, you know, think about other business documents. There's generally a lot more structure and contracts don't have that. So I think there's a there's massive opportunity to kind of structure the content, design the content in a way that's uh, more accessible. So Lemonade, which is the insurance company, I think they're Lemonade.com. They have written insurance contracts is a brilliant example of that because there's, there's no visuals, there's no graphics. It's just written in a really kind of jovial, plain language, consumer-focused way. And it's just a delight to read. So I, so I think, you know, that's sort of the language, but, but structure and visuals can really help. And I think contracts do not, are not very good at accommodating that. There are other ways in which it's broken, which is more around kind of the process and how contracts are managed. They tend to be managed in a fairly adversarial way. So if you think about how they are negotiated, it's a pretty uh, adversarial kind of, uh, uh, you know, you sort of send your market by email and the other side reviews it, send it back. And, uh, and, that, and that's both, a, I think there's a lot of laziness in that because everyone knows that ultimately getting in front of people in a meeting is more efficient. But so often people default to that kind of two-way process. The other way in which I think is broken is the, the process of putting the document together. And, and what we see here is, you know, it's done in the really traditional way where you, you know, you go to a lawyer and he puts, uh, puts this thing together, hands it over to you, which is kind of very inefficient. Or you have, you know, the, the contract kind of automation tools that basically put this together. But what they're producing is still the same thing. It's a, it's a, it's a essentially a word document. It, it's old fashioned and it's inefficient. And the other thing is, I guess, a sort of favorite sort of bugbear of mine is around behaviors or a favorite concept of mine is around behaviors. If, if, if you have tools that perpetuate bad behaviors, you're going to perpetuate those bad behaviors. And if you have tools that encourage you and help you to have good behaviors, then you're more likely to have good behaviors. And what do we mean by good behaviors? I mean, collaborative behaviors is, is one way, you know, empathetic behaviors. But let's just say, let's just focus in on the collaborative behaviors. So collaborative behaviors in terms of how you work in the document, how you negotiate it. If you don't, if you have a tool that encourages 
a non-collaborative behavior like Word and email and like a lot of the products out there, then you're not going to change how you do things. There are products out there that are doing something around that and are, and are, and are, uh, and are talking around that, but that's still, um, I think that's still very limited. And there's a huge amount to do here to think about well, what are the what are the productive behaviors? What are the behaviors that build trust rather than corrode trust? And how do we build a tool that sort of encourages and helps people uh, with that? Can you explain or give a definition of what contract automation is? So contract automation has several elements. But in essence, what you're doing is trying to introduce some uh, systems-enabled process that helps you get to uh, the end result faster. And contract automation has different elements. So for example, there's drafting automation, which is how do you get your first draft of your contract out? There's automation that helps you negotiate. So what are the, what is the process and tools that you can help, helps you negotiate? There's automation around signature. So e-signature that helps you get this thing signed without having to sign it on paper and then exchange PDFs. There's automation that's around the management. So how do you track all your contracts and what the status is and what you've signed? And so how do you manage archive and, and search? So there's automation around that. And there's also automation around review. So if you get a contract from a third party, how do you sort of uh, help uh, the process of, you know, how do you get a sort of some hints and tips as to what you need to do with that and what's good and what's bad. So those are all aspects of, a, you know, contract and, and contract management. And automation is all about taking one of those elements or all of those elements or a group of those elements and sort of digitizing it and making it a bit automatic. So to give you a, an example around drafting, so a very sort of traditional and inefficient process around drafting is that you you need a certain contract you've got a clause bank and you pull that pull your clauses together manually cut using cut and paste into word or you take an existing precedent save a copy and then you sort of make some changes and maybe frankenstein it a bit with other bits of um, uh, content and you're all sort of essentially cutting and pasting a lot and and writing a fair amount and rewriting with automation what you should be able to do is select the kind of content you want usually that's by answering a few simple questions and the system basically picks out the right content for you and presents it to you. There's no magic to it. I mean, it's all, it, all, it is all based on having a library of content. The system just needs to know, usually through simple kind of decision tree process, which bits to pick up. So there are some systems that are starting to bring some AI into it, but essentially it's a pretty simple process. But the end result is still significant because... You answer a few questions or you click a button and you've already got content there for you, which hopefully is, you know, 80, 90, 99% what you need. Your new startup, Majoto, I gather is kind of is putting in place this contract automation and dealing with all of the things, your vision of what contracts, good contracts should be. Can you talk a little bit about sure. like yeah. what that is? So Majoto is a contract automation tool and it's all about doing contracts better not just faster. It's built on your sort of existing office stack. So whether you're a G Suite or Google user or a Microsoft user, instead of accessing a sort of external cloud platform, what we give you is the, is, 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 is the platform within your existing office environment. In essence, it's a kind of a document configuration a tool. So we can configure the, your templates, reconfigure them into Majoto. There's a, a lot of smart code in it. So we give you back this kind of contract on steroids that, that is sort of enabled by design, better content, and by code. Part of the purpose and the, the whole raison d'etre of Majoto and what it does 
is to help and encourage people to restructure the content and work with the content differently. You know, for example, you know, one way in which you can restructure contracts to make them sort of more business friendly and trust building is to kind of put your key business stuff at the front of the contract. Seems illogical, but that's not how contracts are traditionally structured. Now, this is a method I've used. I'm not unique in coming up with this. There's others. I mean, another name drops, Verity White. If the audience is interested in checking out this particular methodology, look at Verity White and the reverse sandwich contract. You know, same thing with visual contracts and representing information more graphically. Again, Mojoto is capable of doing that. So it may possibly be fairly unique among the solutions out there in that it is capable of dealing with very different contract designs and contract structures and sort of helps and encourages that. How do you ensure that the material going in is well written? The the fundamental way in which we are um, uh, managing this to make sure the content is that we, um, so Mojoto is not just, we don't just sell the software. We, we see it as a, as a holistic thing. So when we go out to, to, to customers, we will say, look, there's a certain amount of minimum work that we will do as part of the process of converting your templates into Mojoto to help you restructure it and make sure the contracts work better. And we'll do a bit of that for you. We'll show you how to do that. The basic model includes a kind of a consulting element where we help them do that. And it's easier for us, for us to do, as I say, and for the clients to do, because the way things are structured within it just make it really super easy to do it. And then we offer an additional service, which is, which is more pure consulting, which is say, look, okay, so we've done that restructuring, but you've still got a lot of poor language in this. And if you really, really want to get the benefits of this contract automation system, and frankly, any contract automation system, you need to work on that content. There's always kind of this tension. Well, are you a consultant or your, or your software company? That's what people say. Well, I, I think we can get, we can have both to really fix contracts. It's a holistic exercise around content, design, structure, process people, culture, all, all that kind of stuff. I, I think selling a solution that just kind of automates and speeds up, that's not what I want to do. That's not where I want to be. I don't think that's enough. If you think about, um, and here I'm going to name drop again, I'm going to name drop Radiant Law and Alex Hamilton, who I think has done a fantastic job on his side around talking on this issue and also doing some research around this of, you know, where, what are the bottlenecks in, in contract negotiations? And what he's uh, shown is that, you know, clients tend to get stuck on certain kinds of clauses. So usually it's things like liability clauses. And that's the stuff that creates the majority of the of the of the pain and the the bottlenecks in contract negotiations right so you can automate your contract creation and even have a collaborative negotiation system with right but if you've got overly risk averse inflexible and complicated liability clauses in there you're going to get stuck on that every time in the negotiations so you've got to figure out how to fix that and that's partially language and partially around kind of being smart around you know, how do you position this, you know, between risk and outcomes? So we haven't really talked about that, but this is a huge thing around risk versus outcome. And contracts are all about risk and how lawyers think all about risk. Business thinks, thinks about outcomes. And that needs to kind of shift. The lawyers need to think about the outcomes. And outcomes can mean, well, okay, I'm going to get a slightly worse position on my liability clause, which actually doesn't matter because we never litigate, right? So the chances of something going wrong is very small. And the chances of it actually materially impacting me if it goes wrong is very small. But I've just sped up every deal I've done and I've avoided lost deals. So, you know, it's, it's worth it. It's totally worth it.
that's something that can drive massive efficiency. And if you don't sort that out, you're not going to be taking the wins. What's the reaction to, you know, all of this innovation? First of all, people think too much about tech first, instead of thinking about all the other stuff, right? And really understanding the problem. The smart people out there will, will tell you, look, before you get to the tech, you've got to think about defining the problem. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Let's define that really well first. You know, and then you sort of go through a, through a process. Okay, what does success look like then? What does the solution need to be able to do? And then eventually you can then start thinking about, well, what does the solution need to look like? And only then, if you think the solution has to be tech rather than content or process or people or culture, only then do you look at tech. So that's, a, that's the first sort of feature that I see. And businesses tend to come with an idea of what they want. And, you know, I always start with asking a question, well, you know, what is your objective? What are you trying to do? And what I usually see is that people say, well, we know the objective, right? We've got some inefficient contracts. We've got too many templates. Um, we're too slow. You know, um, we need to fix that, right? But actually really understanding your objective is not that easy. And you really need to go through a process to understand it because otherwise you may have maybe an overly narrow understanding of your objective or you may have an, an understanding of your objective that's not sufficiently cross-functional. I mean, that's a big issue, especially with large corporations. The lawyers think they know, but they have they can talk to the business. So, so really formulating that objective and going through a process to do it and doing it in a collaborative way, in, in a kind of workshop or at least a mini workshop, that's really important. And I think that's the bit that customers tend to sort of miss. The other thing that I sort of bang on a lot about, there's this usual kind of three, you know, tripod thing of people process technology, right? So people talk about when you want to make some change or instigate some change or do a project, you go think about the people process and tech side of things, right? And I actually think about purpose as, as being the overarching thing or at the center of that kind of triangle. And purpose is basically why, why? It comes even before objectives, right? It's like, why are we doing this? And only answering that question allows you to then really start answering questions around objectives. And I think it's really important to maintain that sort of reference of what is our purpose in all of this. And I think that's a really, really underestimated and underplayed part of this whole sort of thing of how do we do this better? I think generally clients, they tend to be conservative and that's fair enough. So I think part of the trick is to, you know, you got to take people through the process and hopefully um, innovate in stages. The, the other thing I see though, is that there are those who, who are experimenters. So there are companies out there. The frustration I see is that there's too much experimentation in this space, kind of tentative experimentation. It's time to kind of get on with it and really do this and embed it and do it bravely rather than, you know, messing around with this tentative experimentation that I'm seeing. And actually, I'm starting a series, a, a kind of a blog series precisely addressing this because I feel like, you know, 2019 year of talk and 2020 should be the year of action. And I'm going to be putting out some uh, uh, blog content with basically some practical, very kind of practical and simple things that companies and their advisors can start doing to kind of start sorting out content, structure, process and, and all that kind of stuff around this contract thing. So 2019 year of talking, 2020 year of action. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> what is what's the future for you? There are two possible futures. I think there is a utopian future and a dystopian future. And a dystopian future is where... We stick with essentially Word documents and we have these AI tools that basically do all the work for us. And, they, and you know, AI negotiating with AI or AI aided negotiations and, and, and contract creation, all that kind of stuff. I can imagine that that could be a future. Why do I say it's dystopian? Because I don't think that will fix any of the problems that we've talked about. It's not going to fix the issue for business. 
in terms of them being able to play in the, in the sandbox freely. And I don't think it's going to fix the issue of trust. I think AI is going to be a really useful tool, but I'd like to think that that's not the future. The utopian future for me is, you know, a, a kind of environment where we've got the tools and the abilities and the culture where contracts are much easier. There is that less of that tension. Business feels empowered. The contract process builds trust rather than destroys trust. There's the speed of trust concept, you know, Stephen Covey and uh, the speed of trust. Trust is a, is a lubricant of efficiency and speed. So it's really critical. It's, it's crazy that in this day and age, it is so, you know, contracts are still so fundamentally difficult. The other sort of aspect to that future that I see is, is a future where people can interact with contracts in the way that they want to interact with them. So, you know, some people are visual, some people like text, some people like summaries, some people like to explore it in different ways. And, you know, right now people interact with contracts as kind of these terse word documents. You know, we're starting to see these kind of visual contracts where people are interacting with them more visually. But not, I don't think not all forms of information are actually simpler when presented visually. And maybe some people don't, you know, work so well with visuals. I'd like to see a world where, depending on your needs and aptitudes, you can interact with contracts in the way that you want to do it. And it's all automated, right? So you don't have to pay a visual designer to create a visual version of your contracts. That, that whatever way in which you put the contract together, you can then automatically explore it and work with it and interact with it in different ways. And that's ultimately what we're working on at Magento. So can you, can you explain a little bit about what you mean by visual? Do you mean, because I'm aware that there are like you know, picture contracts. Mm, mm. Um, I've seen some coming out of South Africa. Is that right. what you mean? Or you mean visual in kind of the layout of the contract? It's a spectrum of things. A comic contract, like what you're referring to, is a sort of a particularly extreme example of it. And, you know, that's been shown to kind of work really well in a particular environment. And that's great. I think... There's a whole spectrum of things there. I think probably, you know, simple things that make contracts more visual is kind of visualization of particular aspects. So for example, if I have, you know, I may show a timeline. I have text, but then I've got a, uh, a timeline that shows the starting date, when it finishes, when it finishes, if you extend it, when it might finish it, if something happens. So that's something, again, I'm going to name, a, drop a couple of uh, names here. If the audience look at what Stefania Passera is doing. She's a pioneering visual designer and um, the IACCM contract pattern library. And this is a work done by Stefania Passera and um, Elena Harpio, if I'm not mistaken. And they've put these uh, different patterns that you can use to sort of structure your contracts in a more sort of efficient and sort of readable, human readable way. So that, that's a great resource to check out. Right. So thank you, Dennis. Um, it's been a pleasure. You've uh, talked a lot about lots of different things. I tend to talk a lot, so I hope I haven't talked too much. <laughs> no, no, no. And, uh, you know, very interesting. And there's clearly like a big future for what's going on. And clearly the legal world needs people like you innovating and uh, stepping beyond the boundaries that a lot of people are working within, even, you know, on, on the kind of outskirts of what is acceptable, kind of going beyond that. So there's a growing community and, you know, I, there are people who've been innovating and doing amazing stuff for longer than I have. And there's a, I do feel there's a real community around this. You know, the real trick for us is how do we now get this really distributed and, and, yeah. and start changing the way people are doing things. Yes. So that's, yeah. that's what we're here for. Good. So, you know, listeners out there, if you're interested in contract automation and just making better contracts, a whole process involved, 
then do look up Dennis on LinkedIn. You can yes. search. Yep. I'll leave a link in the, in the show notes. And um, by all means, they can maybe get in touch with you if they've Absolutely. got questions. Absolutely, yep. Um, Always happy for a conversation. Fantastic. And so a question for listeners is, what are you seeing in the country where you live uh, in terms of uh, making contracts better? Are you doing anything in your firm or in-house at your company to make contracts better? And what tools are you using? Or do you have the tools that you need to actually make contracts much better? Let me know. Send me an email to louise at studylegalenglish.com or, of course, join in the conversation on uh, social media. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Study Legal English podcast. If you really want to get ahead, why not become a member and gain access to many learning resources? Visit studylegalenglish.com forward slash pricing 